0: All right. Reading this morning from John chapter twelve, beginning at uh, verse thirty-seven. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for this Lord's Day, for the opportunity once again to come as a church, to come as your people, to worship you. Worship is what we desire. Worship is what you want. And so we give you that worship. You are worthy to receive it. We worship you in our praying and in our in our testimony, and in our singing, and in the ministry and preaching of Your Word. And so we pray that You would be pleased with what we do here this morning. And we ask that Christ would be lifted up, and that He would receive the glory that He's due. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Good to see everyone this morning, and uh, bless you for being here. I still, I still see a few that aren't here, and we pray that they'll be back again very soon. Well, we have we have been in the Gospel of John now 118 weeks, and. We've come pretty much, pretty close to the end of chapter 12. I think maybe one more week of chapter 12 before we go into chapter 13 and the the final work of Christ in his earthly ministry and in ministering to his disciples exclusively. As Jesus lived and moved among the Jews, he was constantly pro- proving himself to them as Messiah. And though there are there are many thousands of things that Jesus did, many thousands of signs and wonders that he performed, John records only seven of those miracles. The light of the nation of Israel. What, had received from the Lord Jesus was because He was in their midst. He was living with them, performing this enormous amount of works and and wonders and signs, produced a clear evidence that He was indeed their Messiah. No one had done the things that He had done. Yet we find that after all He had done, to bring them from the darkness of unbelief to the light of himself, they still did not believe in him. Someone has rightly said that this is an unbelievable unbelief. This has been the recurring theme of John's gospel. Jesus showed himself and proved himself to the Jews by many signs, and they did not believe. They hardened their hearts against him. The Jews had not simply heard of his fame and works from a distance. They did not receive or or understand his works from a third or a fourth party, even a second party. They were eyewitnesses of the things he had done they had visually seen his works now I want you to notice in verse 37 he uses the words um, he uses the words before them though he had done so many signs before them this wasn't this wasn't the Jews getting information about the things he'd done. They were following him around. They were there when he healed the paralytic man who was let down through the roof. They were, they were there when he healed the blind man outside of the city, outside of the, t- the temple in Jerusalem. They were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They saw these things themselves, and yet they did not believe them. This was what originally brought Nicodemus to Jesus in chapter 3, if you'll recall. Nicodemus came saying, we know that you are from God because no one can do the signs and wonders that you do unless God is with him. At least Nicodemus recognized where the signs and the wonders came from. But his giving sight to blind eyes, his healing of lame legs, his raising of the dead, were things that they could not deny or disprove. And they were so many and so great that It became an aggravation to their unbelief. But this is the nature of sin. It is so deep-rooted and so powerful in the lives of those who do not and will not believe that even when witnessed firsthand, it is rejected. It's hard to understand, isn't it? Remember in Luke 15 when the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham over on the side of paradise and he was tormented in the flame and he said, Abraham, send someone to tell my five brothers not to come to this terrible place. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. But no, if one rises from the dead to come and tell them, they will believe Him. No. Even if one rose from the dead, they would still not believe. These Jews that Jesus is speaking to here in chapter uh, 12, they are the epitome of the natural person that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, they are the natural person who does not regard the things of the Spirit of God. And they cannot understand it because it is spiritually discerned. Only the all-powerful work of a sovereign God can turn people around from unbelief to belief. And it's no different today than it was in biblical times, people still have before their eyes, before their very eyes, they have the lives of people whom Christ has changed, who has been ta- people who have been taken out of darkness and are now walking in light, people who's, who used to love their sin, now hate their sin, These, their lives are completely different, and yet people see their changed lives and they refuse to believe That it was God that made them change. These Jews did not realize that God had allowed His people, the Jews, to fall into unbelief so that the Gentile nations would hear the gospel and have the grace of God extended to them. This is what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 9 through 11. So why did these events occur as they did? Why did they unfold the way that they came about? And what was the reason the Jews exhibited such violent hate and rejection toward the Son of God? Don Carson writes, the Christian answer is clearly articulated in Paul from Romans 9 to 11 as here. Is that, this, is that this unbelief was not only foreseen by Scripture, but on that very account necessitated by Scripture. I said, I made the statement last week that even though they rejected Christ and having seen all that he had done, That there was a more important reason for their unbelief and rejection. And it was so that the scriptures of the Old Testament prophets might be fulfilled. All of the scripture has to be fulfilled. And God is in the business of fulfilling it. Now John gives two causes for Israel's unbelief. One is divine, a divine cause, and the other is a human cause. What we're talking about here is divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We are not of those who believe that divine sovereignty dictates and that man has no responsibility. There are people who believe that. There are also people who believe that humans are responsible, but God is not necessarily sovereign in what he does. We don't believe that either. We believe both of these truths, that God is absolutely and unequivocally sovereign in all that he does. And we also believe that man is absolutely responsible for what he does. The unbelief of the Jewish nation was in accord with the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Now, John inserts this. We're not given here that Jesus said these things, although he had said them previously, which we'll get to in a moment. But John inserted this under the inspiration of God. To show the importance of the fulfilling of Scripture from the Old Testament. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah, which is in line with the sovereignty of God. In verse 38, he says, It was so that the word by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What word was that? Well, he tells us. Lord, who has believed what we heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? These are both questions that Isaiah writes. They're found in chapter 53 and verse 1 of Isaiah's prophecy. And in that chapter which, by the way, was removed from the Jewish Old Testament Bible. In that chapter, he, he reveals the life and work of the Messiah. In fact, when read, when, when read to Jewish people who, are, who are, have no knowledge of chapter 53... When read to them and ask, who is this scripture speaking of? Invariably, they all say, the Messiah. And yet, it is so accurately describes the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two parts to the verse, and I want that as it relates to Jesus, two parts. It speaks of his word. And it speaks of his works and deeds. What we have heard is his word. The arm of the Lord is his works. The powerful acts of God that Jesus did by signs and wonders. So let's look at the two parts individually. The first part. Isaiah says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? Well, the answer to that question is not very many. Just a few. There's only a few that truly believe, there's only a few that actually hear what God has said, and it affects their hearts. Jesus had warned that those who truly believed in Him would be few. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7. The words of Christ. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate that is wide, and the way for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That's the easy life. That's the life of just disregarding what God says and going on in sin, and you 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 be you'll be praised and and. The accolades of the world will be yours, and you can just be one of them, and you can float through life, and you can party, and you can do what you want to, and the world will just applaud you. It's easy. But it leads to destruction. And those who enter that way are many, Jesus says. Mega. Many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Not many find it. You are a, if you're here with, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin, you you are one of those few that found the way to life. And you know how hard it is to walk that way because it's so very narrow. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And this is what he said. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able why are they not able? Because they're carrying the world with them. They've got all this baggage that they refuse to let go of. And they can't get through that door. They love the easy life. They love the world. Thereby make themselves the enemy of God. This was proven to be true. True. As the people of Israel refused to believe, even though he had done so many miracles and proved who he was over and over again. In fact, this was the reason that Jesus came and did his signs and wonders. It was so that they would believe. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. How many is that? I would, su- I would suggest you couldn't count them. In fact, John goes on to say, if all of them were recorded, the books of the world wouldn't be able to hold the information of the things He did. But these are written. The ones that we have are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through His name. That's the reason He did them. Who has believed our report? Isaiah must have been rather forlorn when he said those words, for the people of Israel during his time had not received them either. He goes on to ask another question in chapter 53, verse 1 of Isaiah. And the question is this To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord, the works, the signs that prove that God was true and that God was real in the Messiah. Who is, who, to whom have they been revealed? Now that passage in Isaiah 53 flows off of the passage before it. In fact, turn to Isaiah 53 if you would with me, please. And I want you to notice some some things here. <clears throat> he says in Isaiah fifty-three, and verse uh, verse one. He says, "Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed?" But if you back up to, to chapter 52 and beginning at verse 13, notice what he says, "Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted." That's the Messiah. That's God's servant, the Lord Jesus. Verse 14. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which has not they have not heard they understand so you have the you have the messiah in in verse 13 being exalted and high and lifted up and he acts wisely and it progresses from his exaltation down down and downward to his humiliation and then when you get into chapter 53, the humiliation continues. For he grew up before him as a young plant like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that he should, should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We've all gone astray like sheep. We've turned to our own way, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Humiliation, oppression. Yet he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb he was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that was before his shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. We still have this downward downward expression of humiliation and pain and and being put aside yet it was the lord's will to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the Lord shall prosper. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now we're starting to go back to exaltation. We start in chapter 52 with him being exalted and high and lifted up. And, all of us, and it goes downward, downward, downward to humiliation and pain and death, being crushed. out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall my right shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities therefore here we go with building back up to exaltation now Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So you have this picture of the, of the Lord's Messiah once high and exalted and lifted up, but coming and condescending to be a man and being oppressed and being scorned and finally killed. But then what happens? He rises from the dead. He's glorious. He ascends back to heaven and takes His place seated at the right hand of the throne of His Father in heaven. God has revealed Himself to His people, Israel, through His Son. Because He was not high and exalted, But because He was lowly and humble, they did not listen to His words. The writer of Hebrews says it. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through His Son, That's the way God speaks. But they did not believe that He was the Son of God. That's why the Apostle Paul, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul refers to in Romans 10 and Colossians 3 as the Word of Christ. Listen to it. So faith comes from hearing and hearing... Through the Word of Christ. Colossians 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's talking about the Bible. This is the Word of Christ. Now I want you to notice in verses 38 through 40. That the people not only would not believe in Him. But they could not believe in Him. A persistent unbelief of I will not leads to I cannot. John Murray writes this way We must never forget that it is by God's appointment that if His Word does not make alive, it must deaden. There's only two options there's life. And there's death. There's nothing in between. The passage in verses 38 through 40 are a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus quoted this same passage in Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. Paul refers to it in Acts chapter 28 as the reason God sent his salvation message to the Gentiles. In the passage, uh, Isaiah 6, you might want to turn back there because we're going to look at that here in a moment. In this passage, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up and in all of his royal glory, which made Isaiah actually look at himself and see his own sinfulness. And that's exactly what happens every time you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You see yourself and your sinfulness. And that doesn't, that doesn't just happen at the moment of salvation. That happens all through the believer's life. The more we see of Jesus, the more we see of ourselves. The more we realize how unworthy we are. The more we realize how sinful we have been and can be. It also ascribes, this passage also ascribes everything to the will of God. And unless God is active. In the mission that he gives Isaiah, then nothing is possible. That's why when we open the scriptures and we preach from it, we believe that it is the Word of God that will do the work that God intends to be done. It is not me, it is not you, it is not any other preacher, it's the Word of the living God. That does the work. Now notice the formula. If you you look at verses 9 and 10. And we're going to read the other part of the passage in a moment. Verses 9 and 10. He said. This is God speaking to Isaiah. Verse 9. And he said. Go and say to this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, <clears throat> and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and, I, and turn and be healed." This is the passage that John quotes in chapter in chapter twelve. <clears throat> now notice the formula Healing or, or they're being blind, blinded, hardened, not understanding, not turning and being healed. The blinding of these people was not against their will, but in conjunction with it. The word is in, a, in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense speaks of an action that took place in the past and is being carried on into the present. So they were blinded in the past and they are still blinded in the present now why is that it's because they don't they want to be blind they want to be blind so that they can continue in their sin they do not want to see the light of the glory of god in jesus christ and consequently, they cannot. Notice the same with the hardening. As a result of their blindness, they become hard of heart. The word hardened there is a, a word that speaks of developing calluses. You know, if you work with, a, with your hands a certain way... And you're constantly doing the same thing. You will develop calluses in your hands that, where that they don't, they don't have the feeling that other parts of your skin have. The skin becomes thick. It becomes uh, un, uneasy. It's not. It's not easy for it to feel. I've uh, I've known people who had such calluses on their hands that uh, they would they would literally be able to touch something hot and not feel it through the calluses obviously there are limits but this is what the word means it means the developing of a callus that which becomes numb or void of feeling they are deliberate in their hardness It is their own fault, and God's hand is now in the consequences of their choice. I admit to you that this is a difficult passage. I also admit that God has written it for us, therefore we must seek to understand it. When sin is this deeply rooted in the hearts of people who have hardened themselves to the gospel, who have hardened themselves to God, then God lifts His hands off of them. He lifts His grace from them. And the result is that they go forth sinning. They go to their sins. Only thing they can do. And so sin then results in more sin when God gives them up to that. This is what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 1. And he uses the phrase, God gave them up three different times. Listen to them. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26 For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Can you not see it happening all around us? We're living in Romans 1. People have become hardened. They don't want to see the light. They love their darkness. They want to continue in their sin. Just try telling, just try telling a homosexual that He's sinning against God. See where it gets you. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Israel's rejection of Jesus was not merely foreseen. By the prophet. It was planned by God's judgment upon them. But it also brought blessing to the Gentiles. Their, their being given up by God caused the gospel to come to you and me. God's plan cannot be overturned or fail. As difficult as this is to ponder, God's plan both involves softening of people's hearts and hardening of people's hearts. His plan is not frustrated by opposition of evil, but it is accomplished by it. Listen to what Augustine wrote. He said, God thus blinds and hardens Simply by letting alone and withdrawing His aid. And God can do this by a judgment that is hidden. Although not by one that is unrighteous. In other words, when God does this, it is a righteous act based upon His justice. He never does anything unrighteous. The one thing that cannot be denied is that God is righteous in all that He does in the lives of people. Whether He hardens a person and leaves them to, to go their own way in sin, or whether He invades them with His grace and draws them to Himself, God is righteous in both ways. This is what Paul says in Romans 9. Look at it with me. Romans 9. Verse 14. Beginning at verse 14. He says in verse 14, What shall we say then? He's speaking about this same thing. He's been talking about how that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened his heart. Watch what he says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Did God, did God do something wrong when he caused Pharaoh's heart to be hardened against his people and against him? By no means, Paul says. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. But on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. For this very purpose I have raised you up. That I might show my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills. And He hardens whomever He wills. Hard words. Difficult to understand. How can God be totally and completely sovereign and at the same time hold people responsible? How is it that He can harden a person's heart so that they cannot believe and then judge them for not believing? And yet... That's exactly right. God has every right as the sovereign of the universe to judge the years of rebellion, the misuse of privilege, and the forsaking of divine truth which Israel was privy to. Think about America today. Think of the light that God has shown on this nation. Does He have every right to To continue to harden people in their lives of sin when they have rejected the light. And we've become a nation no longer under God, but under ourselves. They and we are responsible to hear what God says and act accordingly in repentance and faith. That's His command. Repent. Believe. The difficulty is that people who are blind and deaf think they can see and hear. And in the thinking that they see everything right and they hear everything right, it causes their harden, their hearts to become hardened. And in this obstinance of them hardening their hearts... God condemns them to do that which they have naturally always chosen, and that is to sin. Just sin. More and more sin. Sin breeds more sin and finally ends in death. All God has to do is simply withdraw his grace, and man will plunge himself into his own destruction. And in doing so, he is completely responsible. Before God's judgment. John, the reason that John quotes Isaiah here is to increase the reader's attention to the glory of Christ. You remember, I don't know if you have your place in Isaiah or not, but listen to what happened to Isaiah. And John says this is the reason he made these statements. In the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord seated upon seating upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple his glory was filling the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he co- they covered their face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, He said those words that you and I ought to say. When we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. For I am undone. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. The Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and he had taken a a burning coal from from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And that's when God gave this, what seems to be such a horrendous message to Isaiah. All right, Isaiah, you go. You go and say to this people keep on hearing but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive what you see. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I heal them. Is there a point of going too far? Yes, I say there is. For people who will not see, people who will not hear, come to the place I cannot see and I cannot hear. And God has withdrawn His His grace. And so, God condemns them. The glory of Christ is at stake. And when the glory of Christ is seen and recognized, it brings about a view of our own sinfulness. A recognition of our lost estate. This is what Isaiah is talking about. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John indicates that this King... Is Jesus. While Jesus was right before them, they refused to see Him for who He was and believe in Him. Now it says in verse 42 of our, of our text in John 12, it says in verse 42 that many of the authorities, nevertheless many of the authorities believed in Him. Do not confuse the statement in verse 42, many of the authorities believed in Him as a reference to their salvation. Because John gives clear indication that whatever kind of faith they had, it was not saving faith. You see, the way is narrow. And the, and the path is hard. It's not an easy thing. To stand up, stand up for Jesus. Now, why is it not saving faith? Because they would not confess Him before men. Listen to what, Je- what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That was Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Listen to Luke 16. And He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination of God. The authorities had already decreed that if anyone would confess him as the Christ, they should be put out of the synagogue. What what kind of a punishment is that? It meant that they would be banished from their position. They would be ostracized from the people. They would receive no respect and no admiration from the people. And believe you me, they loved the attention that they received from being in authority. They loved telling people what they could and could not do. Jesus said in John 5, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Examine your life. Are the things that you're doing because you want to glorify God or because you want the admiration of people? If you're living the gospel, you will not get the admiration of people. But you will certainly have the smile of God. The approval of men will always bring you to a crisis point when confessing biblical truth. Let me me say that again. The approval of men will always bring you to a crisis point when confessing biblical truth. Those who stand up for biblical truth. Will at some point. Be called upon to decide. Whether they will follow Christ. Or whether they will follow someone else. Or some other path. And those who come to those crisis points. Who deny Christ. By not confessing him. Hmm their faith should come in question true faith always follows Christ no matter what the consequences no matter what the consequences even if it means the loss of everything we hold dear or the loss of our own lives their real their faith was not real Saving faith. James speaks of it. He said, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. So I ask you this morning, as those who profess to know Christ and to love Him? Had you rather have everlasting life and peace and the approval of God or the temporary comforts and approval of men which would end in final judgment and being away from the presence of God in suffering? For you see, those are the only two choices that exist. This is a hard passage. And I I labored over it this week. It was very difficult. I was exhausted when I finished this, uh, this particular section. And I'm not sure I've given it all the justice it deserves. But this I know. That if God is calling upon you, then confess Him. If he's, if he's giving you opportunity to stand up for Him, stand up for Him. Because if you deny Him, He will deny you. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. It's always a good thing to do. Let's pray. Father, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have uh, given to us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see you as Isaiah saw you and cry out, Woe is me, I'm undone. I've seen the king, he's glorious. And I see, my, I see my sinful self. But Father, in our, in our relationship with You through Christ, we love You. And even though when we see you, see you in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we see You and we're reminded of how pitiful we are, we are also reminded... That you extended your grace to us and your salvation to us, and we are your children. We are your servants, we are your slaves, yet free in Christ Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to help us to remember the great price and sacrifice that you made to make us your own. May you be exalted and glorified in our lives, and in our church, and in our families, and in our work, and in our leisure, in our neighborhoods. So that people see that we have hope that goes beyond anything this world can offer us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.